0: 72 Voices is a project by 72 and Sunny, who are a creative accelerator with offices in Sydney, LA, Singapore, Amsterdam and NYC. This series champions the new generation of creative entrepreneurs in Australia. In the chats, we identify smarts and insights that we hope in some small way will inspire the next generation of Australian entrepreneurial success stories. Welcome to 72 Voices, the podcast series with our CEO, Chris Kaye, produced by our friends at Otis Studios.
1: This week's chat is with Lisa Messenger, CEO of Collective Hub, international speaker and best-selling author. Lisa really is a positive force of nature. It's really interesting to hear how a clear professional and personal purpose has helped to drive a successful entrepreneurial life, but also while doing that managing the fluidity and openness in how she shows up every day. Our conversation was enlightening and energizing in equal measure. Hopefully you get as much out of our chat as I did. Well look, let let's start. Well thank you for coming in. Really appreciate your time. Yeah. And so if you don't mind, can we start with who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it?
0: I love it how you say that so quickly, like how do, <laughs> it's we, really easy. How do we smush 18 years of my, having my own <laughs> businesses plus the rest of my career, okay, quickly. <laughs> who am I? Lisa Messenger. Uh I'm an entrepreneur, an investor, um, I'm very passionate about startups. I started Collective Hub as a print magazine in 2013, and that was crazy. Uh, because I entered a highly saturated industry that I knew nothing about. But within 18 <laughs> months, the print magazine was in 37 countries. So, wow. Um, Why did yeah. you do
1: that? What was the drive behind that?
0: <laughs> there are many ways to answer that. <laughs> I'll try and keep it polite. Um, you know, I started my first business on the 22nd of October, 2001. So that's mm-hmm. a long time ago. And yeah. then it wasn't until... 2012 I came up with like my real purpose and so people kind of looked at Collective Hub and they're like wow it's amazing it went global almost overnight and I'm like that old adage 11 year overnight success like Mm -hmm. I spent 11 years over servicing undercharging being everything to everyone many people listening will be nodding their heads going "Uh uh-huh and then I was just surrounded by so many amazing entrepreneurs and innovators and thought leaders. And I just thought the media at the time was kind of letting us down as a species in terms of there are a lot of incredible stories out there about great entrepreneurs. But for me, it was kind of like almost the end game. It was like, oh, such and such got here. And I was always left scratching my head going, but how, but how, but why, but why? What's the story behind the story? And so- I started Collective Hub really to dig into why did you start, how did you start, what's your supply chain, how the hell did you fund this thing, like Mm -hmm. to answer all the questions. And the reason I did a print mag was um, I'd been sort of playing in custom publishing for a few years, so I understood print to a degree, although it turns out a magazine's a very different beast, (laughs) as as you know, having one in front of me of yours. And so it was kind of completely illogical, really. But I was like, well, I kind of understand print. Let's just smush, very technical term, all these amazing people that I know into one format. And to be honest, I just didn't really understand the digital landscape myself at the time. And so I just did it. But the beauty about that was, at the time, print was and is, you know, dead or dying, as people would say. But I just did it completely differently because I'd never worked for a magazine. I didn't understand the industry as many startups and entrepreneurs will relate to. It was a personal pain point and a pain point of a lot of people around me. And so I was like, I'm just going to have a red hot go. And yeah, in Australia at the time, it is said that there were something like five and a half thousand print mags. So it really was a highly saturated industry um, that I knew nothing about. And so the beautiful thing about that was I just kept asking questions and it was just the next logical step like where would you buy a magazine or how would you put a magazine together and I just like picked up the phone and just made it happen and yeah within 18 months we were in 37 countries and I had an email one day which in the subject line um, said from the office of Anna Wintour and anyone (laughs) who's watched Devil Wears Prada (laughs) or September issues and I was like pinch myself like is this actually happening and you know she at the time Arguably, was like the doyen of mm-hmm. publishing globally, and yeah. you know, the head of mastheads like Vogue, and you know, a lot of the Condé Nast titles. And she asked me to meet with her in New York, and I wow. was like, "Wow, this is kind of you know, interesting." Yeah. And testament to my mantra of anything is possible. Yeah. You know, if you if you know what you stand for and what your purpose is, and mine was as simple as I want to ignite human potential and I want to shed a light on the story behind the story of entrepreneurship. And and because I um. I challenged the status quo and bucked so many things when I launched. We'd kind of gotten onto her radar and she invited me to go meet with her and discuss what I was doing, which was pretty cool.
1: And why do you think it it caught so quickly?
0: I think, um, you know, I really truly believe, and if you've come from your world that I know a little bit about so far, um, I believe people fall in love with story and Mm -hmm. authenticity. And the reality is that here I was, kind of this little punk who knew nothing about anything, who, quite frankly, no one knew anything about one day and the next day it was like, you know, yeah. global news. It almost felt like yeah. it was like being at the middle of this, like I've never experienced anything like it. I think it resonated because it really spoke to people. And yep. as I said before, it really debunked the myths you know there's so much that's kind of taboo like people just suddenly launch something and you're left scratching your head going but how like where did you find a million bucks to make that happen or what's your supply chain like how did you get that manufactured in China or how did you work out the cost or where's your margin or yeah like how do you have a sustainable product i don't understand how do you tick the boxes around you know ethical yeah. and sustainable sourcing so because the mandate was very much um traversing different industry verticals different yeah. geographic spaces different ethnicities genders like it just was all on the table yeah. but the only thing was you know people had to be vulnerable and authentic and talk about how they had actually done the thing and i think straight away people were like It was like this unmasking and it was almost like people were like, oh, my gosh, that's how you start a business or that's how you heal your life or that. And so I think um, people fell in love with that. And then I never meant to be at all. Um, a personal brand but I wrote in my very first editor's letter which I think went over like three pages and other (laughs) actual editors were like what you write like two (laughs) paragraphs what is this but I literally wrote in there like it was freaking ballsy and I said something like you know we want to change the Mm -hmm. face of media globally and do good and blah, blah blah I made all these big bold statements and then the second half of my editor's letter I wrote something like, but I have absolutely no freaking idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think that yeah, was that humble, the story, right? Yeah, yeah. So suddenly I was relatable and I was attainable. And so when it worked, and because I charted my journey in real time alongside Collective yeah. Hub,
2: yeah,
0: um, people took notice because I think suddenly I was the poster child for, oh, my God, she has no idea <laughs> either, <laughs> but, she's but trying. something's happening. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why it worked. And I think... I mean, you would have experienced this over and over again as well. I think it was fascinating. Over the next six years, um, I, I've, we've done over 6,000 articles across print and digital, and the amount of PRs I've met with and brands who've come in and just told me really top line, I mean, what have we got in front of us? A glass. Yeah, Hi, yeah. this is a glass, and it's fabulous, and I'm like... I don't care. Like, let's just agree yeah, from yeah. the get-go. The glass is fabulous. Now tell me about the glass. Like, where, yeah, yeah. where did you make it? Why did you make You know, yeah. all the questions I said before. And I think that's what brands often do so poorly. They yeah. just talk about the inanimate object or... Yeah. The thing and they forget to talk about the feeling and the why and what does it stand for? And in my experience people fall in love with the story and yeah. the feeling. And yeah, I can't even I can't express that enough, you yeah.
1: know? Yeah. And and then it's interesting you had a really clear purpose on day 1. Yeah. How do you how do you keep tight on that purpose as you go through and you grow and you change and people come in with different points of view? Because sometimes success changes what your original point of view was, but it feels like you've stuck really close to what the driving force was. Uh, How how have you done that?
0: So so what's interesting about that is, and I've done, I do a lot of corporate speaking on this topic Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if it's Purina Pet Foods in the pet industry or Commonwealth (laughs) Bank or L'Oreal, like you name it, I've spoken to it. And I think The thing about purpose is, and I would say, you know, I did a lot of soul-searching therapy, (laughs) personal development for many, many years, getting really clear on who I was and what mark I wanted to make in this world, what legacy I wanted to create. And so I think this is true for any individual or brand. Like, it's... It makes it actually much easier. I just go, Collective Hub stands to ignite human potential. Three words. Lisa Messenger, um, I'm an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, living my life out loud, showing that anything's possible. So every single day I get up and they're like my litmus tests. And what I said from the get-go of the launch of the print mag was, luckily I also wrote this in the first issue, the delivery mechanism is irrelevant. Yeah. And I truly believe that. So what that means for me is that it actually doesn't matter if I'm doing a print magazine. And, in fact, last year I broke the entire thing and now I'm doing, like, yeah, one or it. two issues a year yeah. when I, when and if I feel like it. It um, doesn't matter if it's a print magazine, I'm writing a book, doing this fabulous podcast mm. with you, doing a speaking gig, um, you know, doing online stuff, making video. Like, there's so many different delivery mechanisms and so that's where i think purpose is absolutely paramount again for an individual or a corporation because once you have something it's really easy to start um you know rather than because the bigger something gets right the more opportunities come so what happens is i think a lot of people just start saying yes let's do that let's do that let's do that and actually i just really quickly go back to does that ignite human potential does that (laughs) help entrepreneurs no it doesn't wow well, that sounds fun because you know as an entrepreneur it's like, oh my god bright shiny things let's yeah. go but I'm like does that fulfill my purpose and so I truly believe my purpose will not change until the day I die hmm. however I may have a hundred other businesses before yeah, I yeah. die yeah but um as long as i'm creating and moving forward and staying true to what i believe my purpose is then that delivery mechanism can keep shifting yep. and changing and i think in the corporate world it's fascinating you know so many brands get so attached to the thing the yep. glass the couch the yep. whatever else the lamp i'm just looking around <laughs> us here and they're like this is what we do we produce lamps would well, do you or Actually, what's the feeling yeah. associated with that? Yeah, and yeah. if lamps are suddenly totally not on trend and no one's using them anymore, what else can you produce and how can you fulfill a gap in a market and not go under because yeah. you've put all your, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. light bulbs in a lamp? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and it's really interesting because when you talk about it, it's, it's about that discipline around that purpose. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for people listening to this who have ideas, and as you say, when you have a great idea... Lots of offers, lots of change comes into that organisation. Yeah. And I think the hardest thing is to have that discipline and be really, really core to that. Yeah. And, and like, what's your advice for that? Is it just be clear, be simple, wake up every day and feel like you feel? I uh, think,
0: well, yes, but it's twofold, right? Yeah. Because Because um, I... Um, like, you know, an A type personality overachiever. So, if I just was making widgets every day, I would go insane. <laughs> so, it's about having this unwavering focus, I think, in terms of what is my purpose, yep. but allowing yourself to be fluid yep. and in flow and surrendering and detached from outcome at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. In terms of get, you know, know what it is that you want to do in this world, but you know, again, be fluid around the delivery yeah. mechanism. So you yeah. maintain that focus, but you're never going to get bored. So yeah. I often explain it like I'm a brand architect. I'm very good at, and this is another thing I think about entrepreneurs, like know what you're good at. I'm yeah. amazing at um, ideas and creativity and moving forward and putting teams together and collaborating and, you know, ideating and doing um you know, deals, deals, deals. Yeah. I am horrible at operations <laughs> and detail and finance and IT and HR. Like yeah. I freaking hate it. Yeah. I know I need to do it, yeah. but I hire my weaknesses always and I put, you know, people in place. And so, hire
1: people better than you. That, that's a good oh, piece of advice. so much better yeah. than me.
0: My gosh. So what I do is... I'm almost the brand brand architect, I would say, like I come up with, this is my purpose, what are different mechanisms and ways we can fulfill that Mm -hmm. and kind of try and learn as much as possible about it, but then I put systems and processes and teams in place to actually continue Uh on because I'm a great starter, I'm not a great finisher, (laughs) like (laughs) I'm a great ideator, I'm not a great implementer and I think... The sooner people realise they cannot do everything and we need to surround ourselves with great people and people much smarter than us, then, you know, life is much easier. I know whenever I try and do something that I'm terrible at, I feel like I'm stuck in mud and I get frustrated and angry and I'm like, I just want to give up. And You know, so I think that's important.
1: That's really interesting that I was having a conversation with somebody else who talked about that moment of realisation that they could no longer be the one making all the decisions. Yeah. You know, when you start something and it's your baby, it's really hard to let that baby go. Uh but and, and so I'm really interested in that insight when you get to a point that you go, I can't do it all on my own now and and the more I let go, actually the better it's gonna be.
0: Yeah. I mean I think I think the power of no is one yeah. of the most extraordinary things. And also the power of letting go. And, you know, that's a huge thing because I think I can only talk about me and my experience, but I know certainly when I started my first business, you know, there was probably ego or attachment or all sorts of other things. But um, as I've grown through those processes, like I can't wait to hand (laughs) parts of it off, you know. And having said that, like, like I just said, I'm terrible. Like I really do not like the operational side, the IT and the, you know, um, finance and legal and all that kind of thing. But being a creative, which I am, the data side of the business is more imperative than mm. ever, you know, like it, just because I don't like it, I still have daily dashboards and I yep. still have, you know, all sorts of KPIs and metrics that I'm looking at all the time and I understand intrin- intrinsically how to read a spreadsheet and, yeah, you know, yeah. and so that's really... Important to understand it doesn't mean I need to do yeah. it. You know, yeah, I'm, a top, the I'm a top line. Like yeah. shoot it through to me every day, but I have you know my bookkeeper and yeah. CFO and other people who yeah, look yeah. after all of that and analyze yeah. the data. But yeah. then it's there for me ultimately as the business owner yeah. to make, make the, the decisions. final decisions. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: It's interesting. I'm going to jump back. You you had a phrase which was uh, an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs. Yeah. What does that mean?
0: Um. So if you go back to my purpose, it's yeah. um, I – so an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, living my life out loud, showing that anything's possible. So they're three things that kind of keep me going every single day. So yeah. what that means to me is um, that – and it's really interesting because when you – When I own my purpose, it actually keeps me accountable because I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep pushing the boundaries and I'm going to keep, you know, trying different things, bucking the status quo, exploring new industries Mm -hmm. so that I am being an entrepreneur, but in telling the story and living my life out loud, I'm actually demonstrating to other people. You know, my... um, Life partner, my boyfriend is like probably the most extraordinary entrepreneur that I know, but he's very different to me. He does it so quietly. I mean, he's so much more brilliant than me, you know. But I'm out there, I've made a conscious decision yeah. to kind of use myself as a conduit to go, I'm going to, you know, buckle these trends, push yeah. all the boundaries traverse different industries and show that it's possible and I live it out loud and I write, I've written seven books in the last five (laughs) years and I speak and I'm doing it. He is just the quiet achiever and gets on with it and like runs rings around me really (laughs) in business, but he's just such a humble, beautiful person. So, you know, it's okay to be both. It's just that I've chosen to be, you know, I guess I'm strong enough, I've been through a lot and I'm just like, I'll share it because I think... In sharing, it helps us to kind of lift each other higher. Yeah. So that's the being an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs.
1: And, and do you think enough people are doing that in Australia specifically? Because I used the to, well, no, Being the quiet achiever or being the loud no, Well, like well me. It, It's funny because it's, uh, you know, I, I worked in our US office for six years. Yeah. Uh, and that's quite an American trait.
0: To share it? To share it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Not, not to be ego driven and shout out loud, but yeah. just to share learnings. And, and do you see a difference between, like, do you see people doing that in Australia? Do you oh, think that's an Australian trait?
0: It's, um, you know, it's, it's a massively different thing culturally, yeah. I think. Um, I was just watching Grant and Elena Cardone from, mm. um, you know, the US, and they are, like, they were just out here with success resources, and they, like, shout from the rooftops, like, <laughs> everything. And I'm like, whoa, for me, that's, like, you know... Too much. ...good on them, <laughs> but, like, it's... Well, I don't know, maybe, but it's certainly not necessarily how people in Australia um, do it. But neither way is right or wrong. wrong. Um, I do truly believe 100% that um, by sharing you know, our lives out loud and mm-hmm. in an authentic way, mm-hmm. I think it really, really helps people. And my boyfriend always laughs at me whenever I share something on Instagram, which I did a few days ago. I was like, I'm actually having a tough time. <laughs> people freaking love it. They love it when I'm down because it's like more relatable, yeah, right? Normal. And so I try to talk about the tough times as much as the great times. Yeah. And I try to talk about the, um, you know, the bridges and the journey and all of that kind of thing about it all. Because, again, it doesn't really help anyone if I just sit here yeah. going, yeah, so the magazine was in 37 yeah, countries yeah, yeah. and nano yeah. did this and then this happened and this happened. Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, far out. Yeah. There's nothing relatable about that to anyone. It's like all the – well, what happened for the um, – 11, 12 and a half years before that, you know. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, failure is import- as important as success. Yeah. And and it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, failure is what makes you as a person. Yeah. You learn more from a failure, I think, oh. than from a success.
0: And that's the thing. I mean, I think people say a lot of the time, oh, you're so resilient or, you know, and I'm like, well, I think resilience is a learned muscle. And the yeah. only reason I'm so resilient is that I have failed – hundreds, thousands, probably (laughs) thousands and thousands of times, you know, and I talk about it a lot. Everything is relative. So my story is my story. But I remember in 2001, you know, getting an invoice, or I think it was like 80 bucks or something. And I nearly had a meltdown. It's like 80 bucks, where am I going to find the money? Or, you know, (laughs) someone doesn't pay you 80 bucks is outside. Oh, my God. And then suddenly, you know, a few years in, things are in like, yeah. Increments of 8,000, and yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, that hurts. But now it's like, you know, yeah. 800,000. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. just
0: me now, and yeah. my propensity for risk is, you know, much higher. But it's only because I was there with the $80 meltdown. Mm-hmm. Now I can have an $800,000. Yeah, well, actually, the $800,000 isn't even such a meltdown now because I. I have this way of um, going to worst-case scenario really quickly in my head and then reverse engineering it. So, Mm. And it's a really good – I talk a lot about it in the first book in my series, Daring and Disruptive. Um, It's like I would go, shivers, that's a problem. Okay, what do I need to do? Okay, my CFO, so it's chief financial officer or, you know, my lawyer or my accountant or my bookkeeper. Like, quickly, who can I get to help me with this situation? Because I think that's the thing. So many people hold this thing – to themselves and have an absolute freak out and yep. meltdown and they're catatonic in a ball rocking silently on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> but if you quickly go, far out, worst case scenario, okay, boom, who do I know? Yeah, and then work Who's back in from my it. team? Oh. And then like I literally reverse engineer mm-hmm. that within 30 seconds to a minute, so I'm sitting in the pain briefly, yep. and then I go, okay, not so bad. And yep. that's a learned muscle. I would argue that I probably when I started in 2001 had way bigger meltdowns about <laughs> the smaller amounts of money than mm-hmm. I do yeah. now but it's only because I've had 18 years of like hitting it hard you know and yeah. then going okay I got through that and so and so I would urge anyone you know there's the old saying you know get comfortable being uncomfortable and I think mm-hmm. it's really important like if you want to be great and do good things in life like you can't just you know sit there and expect things to happen you've got to push it a little harder and push it a little harder and get uncomfortable and go okay I didn't Die, nothing broke, <laughs> yeah. it's okay, yeah, yeah, and then you kind of go, Okay, I can push it a bit more, yeah, and then it, you know, it's a game, and I think that's the thing business and life, as soon as you learn to gamify it, um, and not take yourself too seriously. I mean, I'm often in big board meetings with you know big yeah. people and I'll burst out laughing because I'm yeah, yeah. like come on just like, have some fun you hear how some people are like anyway so this is happening and I'm like is it though like it's fun yeah you know? yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah well it, it's really interesting can I just pick up you just, you just yes. said business and life how yeah. do you make that work
0: ah uh, yeah well I don't like the word balance I yeah. like the word
2: blend because
0: okay. I think if you're an entrepreneur or you're truly in your genius zone or you've found your purpose then it does kind of blend you know mm-hmm. there isn't a delineation for me I mean I'm I'm interested and I'm curious so it might be Saturday or it might be 10 o'clock at night and I'm going to meet someone or I'm going to see something it's going to be an idea it's going to be a conversation whatever it is it's not a nine to five gig right yeah. so I think it's just about having boundaries and not negotiables. And I think that's really important. I mm-hmm. think we glorify being busy, and mm-hmm. there's a big difference between being busy and being productive. Yeah. And so for me, um, I have certain not negotiables. So I don't start work. I'm doing the inverted commas. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> before, <laughs> I can see them. <laughs> before
0: everyone inverted commas, before 10 a.m. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not doing things, but I choose to um, do productive, um, proactive things Mm -hmm. between, say, 7 a.m. and 10, and that is, like, routines, like going for a walk with my dog. So this morning I did the Bondi to Bronte in Sydney. (laughs) Um, You know, meditating, journaling, listening to a podcast, um, and doing certain things to um, fulfill myself before 10 a.m. when it's on, you know? And I find after 10, I'm reacting. Emails, Mm -hmm. you know, doing other things. What's what's going on for the day? And so I think it's really important to have those not negotiables and boundaries and know what works for you and make sure you have time out to feed your soul, whether that's meditating or walks in nature or swimming or time with family and friends or, you know, last night I had people over and cooked, which I love. So (laughs) I think that's how we can maintain it all is just finding that blend and finding not negotiables and being unapologetic about it, you know.
1: And how do you, so that's you personally? Yeah. Uh, as an employer, how do you do that for your people?
0: Ah, so my latest book um, is called Work from Wherever. I don't even know if we have one here. Uh, we, I we send it's, you. Yeah, a no, bunch. but it's, it's really.
1: We were just talking uh, before we came on, actually, uh, about that idea of mm. why do you need an office anymore and where where should the office oh, be? They, I love those are questions this. that are too I just don't think you need them anymore. We, we just moved our office uh, from the city to Manly. Yeah, uh, amazing. And, and the reason we did that was for our people and their lives. Yeah. You know, that opportunity, if you still have to have a place where you have to meet and collaborate, mm. but you can do that by a beach or if you get a block and you go for a surf. I'm I'm really intrigued by the book you've just done, actually. So if you could just talk about that a little bit more.
0: Yeah, let's talk. So this is fascinating and we could talk for days. (laughs) (laughs) And I've started, I'm going to Tokyo in two weeks to talk about this um, for Hewlett Packard. Like, I'm starting to do a lot of this talking because people are like, how? and this is a really interesting thing because for 17 years of having my own business, I have had a physical bricks and mortar Mm. office. Right. And I'm like, what, why you start your own business for freedom and choice largely. And, um, and you know, for the first 11 years before collective hub was born, I only had three full-time staff and, um, and so four of us, three of us lived in Bondi. I'm like, why did we travel to Surrey Hills every day to yeah. an office? And this is interesting because I think um, so much of society, attachment around success has been around how big is your office and how many staff do you have? And so for 11 years, I remember almost being embarrassed when people would be like, how many staff do you have? And I'd be like, oh, three. And so, and then... Yeah. Um, at the height of Collective Hub, we had thirty-two full-time staff, over three million dollars in fixed salaries, an office that cost me nearly three hundred thousand dollars a year, and you know, you know, five million dollars <laughs> in fixed costs. Yeah, crazy. Yet, what's interesting about that is my. Um, bookkeeper Kate has been with me 12 years she's never worked in my office and she's always been freelance my IT guy Kevin has been with me 12 or 13 years he was so these guys weren't part of the 32 yeah. full-time staff Jody, who looks after all my logistics and distribution she's been with me seven or eight years so she's never worked for me full-time they've all been external
2: yeah
0: um My publicist, Georgie, lives in Wagga, never been a full-time staff. My editor of the whole magazine, Amy, never been a full-time staff member and was working from Kayama, two and a half hours south of Sydney, right? (laughs) And of the 32 full-time staff, even though we were a global media company essentially, only three people were writers or commissioning writers. So... The other um, twenty nine people. I'm not sure what. Yeah, nine. I'm not sure what they did. My maths is great. No, beautiful, amazing yeah. people. But, um, but I suddenly realised like so much of our team is decentralised anyway. I mean, we had a huge team globally. All our writers have been freelancers. So if we wanted a great story on a yeah. tech company in New York, we had writers there. If we wanted a great story on a fashion brand in Milan, so I've always had this you know, largely freelance um, and consultancy-based workforce. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I was like, what am I doing? Like at the height of Collective Hub, even though the brand was huge, the bottom line was hemorrhaging. Yeah. Um, I was yeah, losing a lot of cash. I had a lot of fixed expenses. And, you know, with everything change, changing so rapidly, those 32 people, you know, you either upskill them or like it's quite tricky yeah, these yeah. days. Yeah, it is. And so, and a lot of the articles we were doing with Collective Hub were on being a digital nomad or having a flexible working (laughs) life or working from anywhere. And so I was like, why not break everything? I mean, that took about 18 months, you know, to get over my own ego and, like, (laughs) you know, and to work out how to wind out of that situation. And then um, my team... Um, like my art director, M. She works from anywhere now, and we talk about it all the time. She's as like she was in the office for three years, and now she's she lives in Cronulla. And mm-hmm. the thing about it is, she can go to yoga. She goes to the beach, like so many of my team. I don't care where they are. Yeah. When they're there, so I've changed the entire thing to make it about um, KPIs yep. very and very data driven, and everyone has specific, you know, measurable yeah. outcomes that they're yep. aiming for. But it's It's made it much more fluid because they can work from anywhere in the world. They can travel. They can pick up the kids from school. They can do whatever um, gives them the flexibility to be the best version of themselves. And, you know, it's not an easy step to do. Like if you had have even asked me three years ago, would I I have ever thought about doing this? I would have been like, are you on crack? No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's hard because humans are hardwired to feel yeah. that they have to go to a space every day.
0: Yeah, and also, I mean, there's, there's so much that comes yeah. with it, right? Like from a um, business owner perspective, yeah. you know, I used to clock watch, you know, everyone was... What are to, they doing? Everyone was meant to start <laughs> at 8.30 and yeah. it'd be like, I'd see people trickling in at 10 past nine. I'd be like, oh, my God, you know, and it caused me anxiety. <laughs> um, and so now I don't have that problem because I don't see when they come or they yeah. go. And I've changed everything to be... Um, So every single person sends me, you know, different um, pieces of data every morning. We use things like Asana and, you know, there's lots of different tech platforms that we use. Um, And then every Friday we have like full reports from every member of the team. Mm. And some people are, you know, on a project by project. And if they do a great job, they just get more work. Other people are, it's all, you know, data-driven KPIs about how many sales have you done or whatever else. But every single person has specific metrics that they know that they're working towards. And so, so far it works well. The only thing people um, external to my teams often say is, but how does it work culturally? Because, you Mm. know, when you have a sense of purpose, almost like you have a place to be every morning, everyone gets to the office and high fives and, you know, (laughs) goes and does Pilates at lunch together and (laughs) drinks, you know, after work and things. But Um, The analogy I draw is if you look at, say, Instagram and you're watching other people's stories or IGTV, you feel voyeuristically like you're a part of their life anyway, Mm -hmm. even though you may never have seen this person. Mm. So we use things, as I said, like Asana, but also Slack and Zoom and all sorts of different technologies. So we feel like we're often in a physical space together. So I think there's... Ways to kind of, you know, hack the system a little bit. And yeah, and I think the upside of the flexibility that everyone has, um, you know, outweighs the need for being in each other's physical space every day.
1: And did you see productivity goes up oh by God. making a shift like that?
0: Off the charts. <laughs> and my productivity, because yeah, yeah. I think, and I said it before, when I was in the office, mm. I was busy. I wasn't productive. Mm. So I would go, you know traveling for work and that's when I would write all my you know strategy and vision and like really get clear on everything when I was in the office I feel like I never got any work done because I was always reacting and putting out fires and answering questions and all that kind of thing Mm. and so now I'm like dum 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 (laughs) I have so much time and so um I'm working on not just you know Collective hub, which still consists of one to two mags a year and yeah. sort of the online and digital platforms, um, and a number of books and other products and yeah. you know, events and things. So, still, you know, relatively large business. Um, but I'm also working on two other startups. And the beauty about that is when we have the physical office, Somehow, maybe that was my mismanagement, everyone's involved in like every single conversation. Yeah. But now that I have essentially three different businesses, um, they're different teams for each business. So people only need to know what they need to know Mm -hmm. about. And so the productivity is insane because um, people aren't distracted by things that they don't need (laughs) to know about. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: It's quite fascinating, actually. Yeah.
1: Okay. Different question. Uh, How do you view uh, Australia as an entrepreneurial country?
0: I think it's the best in the world. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Do
0: you know, uh, I think it's... um, I I think Australia is really holding its own. I think, you know, we have some extraordinary... Businesses look at Atlassian, yep. Canva. I mean, there's some really big global yep. businesses that were born in Australia, um, and yeah, I'm really, really excited. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley and yep. San Francisco, and like you know, all sorts of different yep. um, hubs around the world. And you know, we've covered different stories from you know the startup capitals, Israel, and everywhere else. Yep. And I think, I think Australia is really, really starting to hold its own, and I've really seen a massive shift. Um, from 2013 when I launched Collective Hub, you know, as an entrepreneurial magazine. And really, it was absolutely the first of its kind um, in Australia. And since then, you know, every second person seems to either own some kind of co-working space yeah. or some kind of um, entrepreneurial media outlet or podcasts. And I think, you know, from an education perspective and also from a startup perspective, perspective i think we're doing i think we're doing really well what do you think
1: well i i one more question yeah and <laughs> I, I, I just off the back of that how do you think the world views us
0: um i think we depends which part of the world uh, <laughs> i think you know i think that's a tricky question because it's like which part of the world and how I think people who are already um, aware of, you know, entrepreneurship and startup yeah. culture and things, I think mm-hmm. Australia would definitely be on the radar. Yeah. The people who are not concerned yeah. about that part yeah. of the industry yeah, yeah, yeah. or, you know, yeah, yeah. possibly not quite so much. But, yeah, no, I think we're starting to really make a mark. And I love that, you know, the world is so borderless now. Like, I really love this, actually. I love that we've gone from physical you know offices with cubicles um (laughs) with fixed you know computers on our desks and you know everything very hardwired into one specific location to people literally can work from anywhere if they just have you know a laptop and a great idea i think um you know everything is borderless now and last year Um, I did some touring around regional Australia. I did 10 speaking gigs in 10 days in New South Wales and Mm. then 10 gigs in 11 days in Queensland and then went into WA and things. And I was, like, absolutely blown away. I don't know if these places will make sense (laughs) to you, but places like Wagga and Forbes, Dubbo, Tamworth, Mm -hmm. like some of the most, and then in Queensland, Rockhampton, Toowoomba, Townsville, I went to all these places. I was blown away (laughs) by the calibre of entrepreneurs and thought leaders and i grew up um on a property in central west new south wales a long time ago (laughs) um and you know we were so isolated because there was no technology back then and so but now you can live seven hours from the capital city and actually run a really great global business if you have an idea and a laptop and I freaking love that. I Mm -hmm. think it's really, really exciting and I think there are no excuses now, you know? Yeah.
1: I'm mindful I didn't answer your question. Oh Uh, yes. What do you think (laughs) about it? I I think I I, I, I think yeah, I think it feels like there's a moment happening. And that's part of a reason to do this podcast. I, I think yeah. when you look, you know, you talked about the Atlassians, the canvas, yeah, the show pose, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It feels well, yeah. Jane Lou, amazing. Yeah. I had yeah.
0: lunch with her two weeks ago. She's phenomenal. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so it feels like there's a a, a moment where people are, are now transcending from uh business press to mainstream press yeah, this happened yeah. in the US a long time ago yeah. uh, where entrepreneurship became the thing that actually you wanted to grow up to be yeah i don't yeah, know if yeah. i don't know if in australia we've had them uh like that yeah. uh whereas you know uh steve jobs uh yeah, yeah, yeah. and then even zuckerberg uh it's instead of now wanting to be a pop star it's as much about wanting to Uh, be a true entrepreneur and I don't think Australia's put those people on a pedestal and I think it's only happening now so in answer to the question I do think there's a rise at the moment where uh, it's now crossed over into mainstream press, it's now crossed over into conversations in schoolyards it's now crossed over into maybe this is the thing that I should be thinking about in the future and that was a part of a reason to do this that it does feel like Australia's on this cusp of actually becoming way stronger than its size. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, And so just trying to understand and learn from people who are doing it, how can you help the next generation? Yeah. And, and so I think I answer your question with another question, which is, how do you help the next generation?
0: Ah, well, um, it's actually, I just, I think this is something that I'm extraordinarily passionate about. I just um, yesterday had a message. I met this 11-year-old girl at um, a book launch of from wherever last week and um, there was all these people there and she was the only 11 year old and she asked more questions than anyone and Mm. I was so kind of proud and excited so um and then her mom came up to me at the end and said oh you've just changed her life because she's so bullied at school and so I signed all these books for her and everything anyway her mom just sent me this message yesterday saying she went dressed as me to her school she was Lisa Lisa (laughs) messenger at her school (laughs) and apparently the teacher knew who I was so suddenly she has all this cred and look I'm um I'm extraordinarily passionate I think still the education system is pretty convergent and you know i i love this whole notion of you know divergence and being able to learn how we want to learn when we want to learn Mm -hmm. and just you know changing the conversation and bringing entrepreneurship and possibility to the next generation and i think that's what i have loved with my journey with collective hub and my books and everything else is that um you know traditionally a lot of um parents in Australia particularly seem to say, oh, you need to be a doctor or a vet, you know, whatever's the highest marks and whatever we can aim for, and yeah. that's what we want you to be. And I feel like through a lot of our messaging and the messaging that's out there now, it's actually bringing possibility to the next generation mm-hmm. about you can choose to be anything, you know, you can work in any industry. Um, it doesn't matter if you're female or male, you can yeah. work in STEM, you can, you know, there are all these different opportunities and possibilities now. And I think that's really Really, really important. I mean, I think we still have a long way to go because, you know, who are the careers careers advisors and how yes. much life experience have they got? Mm-hmm. And um, that's almost like all these people out there saying mm-hmm. they're a coach, and I'm always like, great. Well, what have you done? Yeah, you know. And so I think it's a, a big conversation. And there's a lot of work to be done, but it's something I'm very passionate about and something I want to get much more involved in.
1: Do you think the government's doing enough? No. Sorry, really contentious.
0: Government, no! <laughs> oh my God, no! I mean, gov-
2: yep.
1: what government? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, there's, a, there's a stat that uh, currently mm. Australia is ranked uh, 19th most in- innovative country in really? the world, going backwards. Yeah. Uh, in the next five years, we'll be take- overtaken by the likes of uh, <sighs> Indonesia, as an example. And so I think to uh, again an- another important part for doing I think this podcast is it feels like there's a moment in time where we either keep going backwards. Mm. Uh, or we learn how to propel ourselves forwards. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I'm intrigued by your point of view on that, how you how you help us move forwards or how the government should help us move forwards. No, forward.
0: the government. I can't even deal. Okay, so I come from a long line of politicians. My grandfather and my great-grandfather were both Sir George, Sir George Fuller, uh, Sir George and then Sir John Fuller. And they were both knighted. And, you know, that was my big thing. When I was 23, I was really involved in politics. And I went on to, like, I had 13 different positions in politics simultaneously and I thought that's the direction I would go and I think um I think our entire political system is just the most embarrassing thing that is happening out there at the moment and so I have personally chosen to you know create other platforms and share voice in different (laughs) ways. I think politicians are tripping over themselves, you know, arguing over ridiculous things. They're not innovating. I just think it's, if we ran a business like they run this country, I mean, it would have, it would fall over in a day. (laughs) And I just think it's extraordinarily embarrassing. I don't specifically have the answer. All I'm trying to do is that create positive messaging and stories and help lift people higher and use myself as a conduit and all that kind of thing. But um, no, that's a big one to tackle. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the answer is. I think entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. business leaders have a lot more power and a much larger voice um, than governments. And I think, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with social media, as many of us do. But I think when used for a platform for good, you know, look at the Me Too movement and all sorts of other things. It means that actually, as individuals and collectives, we can really have a very strong voice and we can you know um orchestrate change and I think that's a really positive thing um yeah the political system in and of itself needs a serious serious
1: <laughs> well that's, that's, that's probably another <laughs> podcast oh yeah <laughs> well look I, I I just want to thank you for your time I really appreciate that I My love pleasure. your energy uh and it was really great to talk
0: thank you thanks for having me thank you up next we have
2: Taryn Williams founder and CEO of The Right Fit and Wink Models.